You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Amen. Thank you, Steve. You know, when you say amen, what you're saying is, is true. That means true. It's just the Greek word amen for true. So when you say amen, you're saying that's true. And that is true. And it's good news. Thank you, guys. And then I uh, get this letter just two weeks ago. comes in my mail. I'm sitting at the table, opening it up. It says this. Hello, George. I'm going to cut to the chase. My name is Red Sun 91, and I know about the secret you're keeping from your wife and everyone else. More importantly, I have evidence of what you've been hiding. I won't go into the specifics here in case your wife and her sepsis, but you know what I'm talking about. goes on to say, I stumbled across your, quote, misadventures while working a job around Seattle. So blah, 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 blah. He says you have two options. Option one is to ignore this letter. Let me tell you what will happen if you choose this path. I will take this evidence and send it to your wife. Okay, option two is pay me $8,500 in Bitcoin. Um, (laughs) We'll call this my confidentiality fee. Oh, that's very nice of Red Sun 91. So I'm thinking, my first thought is, oh, no. They finally caught me, right? (laughs) Oh, no. And my mind is racing, trying to say, like, what, what, what is it? What did I do? What did I do? I'm, I'm racing through all this stuff. It's not because I can't think of anything. It's just that there's so much, right? <laughs> now, this is a really uncomfortable uh, uh, way to start a message in church. Um, but I want to make you uncomfortable for a second because I'm guessing that there's a question beneath the discomfort. And, uh, you know, I mean, just ask you to think about what are you feeling right now as you hear your pastor reading a letter that was sent to him of this nature? Maybe you're thinking, um, oh, gosh, uh, I hope that's not true, you know? Or maybe you're thinking, I knew it, (laughs) right? There are a couple of you out there. Or maybe you're thinking, gosh, is there any possibility that there's some truth to whatever this claim is against George? Whatever you're thinking right now, you're having to ask the question beneath the question, which is, do I trust George? That's what this is. It's a question of trust uh, that's just surfaced. And that's what this message is about this morning, uh, trust. I'm going to tell you what happened with this letter. It's not quite pretty. uh, But before I do, I want to just remind you of the landscape that we're walking through in this series. It's called 101. It's for people who are not church people. Uh, It's also for people who are over church people and forgot what church is really supposed to be about. Okay, this is about the heart of Christianity, trying to make it simple, simple steps. If you want to say yes to Jesus when he says, follow me, what do you do, right? So we're looking at that. Last week, we we talked about listen, because God is a speaking God, and we have to listen to him. He always initiates with us. This week, it's about trust, because what good does it do to listen to a speaking God if you don't trust him and what he's saying? All right, let's jump in, look at the Bible. Please pull out the black book in the rack in front of you. Turn to John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. You're going to find that on page 864 of the Pew Bible, or maybe you brought your own Bible, which is awesome. 864, John 3, 14 through 16. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read this aloud together. These words are Jesus' words spoken to a man named Nicodemus. Part of it's very familiar to you. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. 
And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Uh, Keep the Bible open. Please sit down. I want to turn way back to the left now. Go all the way back to the Old Testament, uh, the beginning, near the beginning of it, Numbers chapter 21. That's on page 122 of the Pew Bible. This time I'll read, but I would invite you to follow along. We're going to be looking at both these texts uh, together as we talk. This time Israel is in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land out of slavery in Egypt. They've been traveling now for 38 years, and that's a long time. And uh, they have to take a detour, and things don't go so well. A little bit of a strange story. Listen as I read. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea. That's the route. To go around the land of Edom. That's a foreign country. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? By the way, this is the twelfth time they complain. Okay? Never goes well. For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, The question here is, do you trust me? In both of these situations, that's the question beneath the question, do you trust me? Put yourself in these, in these two scenes, would you? I mean, first, you're Nicodemus. You've come to Jesus. You know he's a religious uh, 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 teacher of some kind because you're a religious leader. You're curious. He's been doing signs. You're curious, not enough to risk your reputation by coming by day, so you come by night in case it doesn't turn out to be much, right? And so you stand there, and Jesus says, look, I want to make you alive. And you go, well, I'm already alive. Thank you very much. Um, He says, no, I want to make you fully alive. Your body is alive. I want to make your spirit alive to God, alive to what God is doing in the world, alive to God's purpose for your life. I want to make you fully alive. I want to give you abundant life. And you go, that's a strange kind of a promise. And and, uh, so let me ask you, if you're Nicodemus, do you trust me? Uh, do you? Okay, now um, go even further back into that numbers passage. Here you are in the wilderness. You know, it's been a long, hot journey. Uh, you can barely even remember when it started 38 years ago. You're sick because you've been bitten by a poisonous snake. You're lying in a tent, wet with fever, dying. 
And all of a sudden, there's a bright shaft of light. The tent flap opens up and a head sticks in. And someone says, hey, Moses has been doing his arts and crafts thing again. He's made a bronze snake, just like the one that bit you. Remember, he's put it on a pole and um, saying, saying that if you go with me across the camp to look at the bronze serpent, you're going to live. There's a way to life. And you just have to look at the serpent. It's okay if you're that person now. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Do you trust me? That's the question, right? Do you? My college roommate ran for student body president uh, at the school I went to. And all the other candidates had these uh, platforms. They told everyone what they were going to do to make the school better. It made a lot of sense. My roommates didn't have any of that. All he, Nick's slogan was, just trust me on this one. Okay, and Nick lost. Apparently, nobody did, you know. But sometimes it's hard to trust, right? It's hard to trust. You can't just say, trust me. And I want you to know this morning, faith is trust. That's what faith is. It's trust. And I wish it weren't the case. I wish faith were like being smart and you just get an education like it all makes sense to you now. And, and now you like, or faith is like training and you learn how to do it. And then once you learn how to do it, you don't need God anymore. You can just do it yourself. Like, I got it now. Thanks. That's not what faith is. Faith is trust. Everywhere in the Bible, it says believe or faith. Just know that's the language of trust in the Bible. That's not the way we think about belief, is it? We say, I believe it's going to be sunny tomorrow. And what do we mean by that? We mean, I think, you know, in Seattle, I think it's going to be sunny tomorrow. That's what they're forecasting. We really aren't sure. That's not what the Bible, that's not what the Bible means when it says believe. When Jesus says, whoever believes in me... What he means is whoever places their trust in me, whoever takes what's most valuable to them and places it on what's most reliable in me, whoever trusts, whoever trusts. So really the question is, when God comes to you and speaks to you, how do you respond? He's really asking, do you trust me? Do you? Sometimes it's not possible, and we know this in like many areas of our lives. It's not possible to live without trust. One time I was fly fishing with my dad. I was just a young kid. He was teaching me how to fly fish, and I had a back cast, and I caught some. It was actually the biggest thing that I caught to date. It was a boy. I had hooked a kid who was walking behind us on the lawn, and none of us had noticed that he was there. So I was like, Dad said, set the hook real hard, you know. Uh, wait a sec. That's a person back there. And so I reeled him in, and we came over here and met this guy. And we had really, I'd hooked him hard. <laughs> so it's just right there in his forearm, the hook, you know. And you know what you do in a situation like that? These hooks have barbs on them. My dad has to explain to this kid, okay, uh, hello, you know, and, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to actually push that hook through your arm. Oh, no. Yeah. So the question is, do I trust this guy? Right? Do I? Because... You cannot pull it out without doing serious damage. The only way forward is to push it through, break the surface with the barb, clip the barb, and then pull it back out. And we're, there's lots of evidence in that moment that my earthly father is a torturer. You know, right there, we're like, well, this doesn't sound right. Could we go to the emergency room? He's like, we would lose the fly. We don't want to do that. So <laughs> never want to lose the fly, right? So we're watching my dad do this, two little boys, and we watch my dad heal him. Okay, against, in the teeth of evidence, he, 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 he heals because this kid trusts him. And sometimes God wants to do something 
to you or for you that he can only do if you trust him because it's not going to look pretty to you. The question is, do you, tr- do you trust me? God might be doing something just like that right now. So he's trying to give you life. He's trying to give you abundant life. Now, you may back say, wait a minute, wait a minute, George. You just read that passage. I didn't even, never, never even knew about that passage. But, like, you're asking me now after you just read a passage in which God sends snakes, poisonous snakes, into the camp of his people to trust this God. This God seems, like, really, really dangerous. I go, well, sometimes God is dangerous. I didn't say it was going to be easy. Neither does Jesus. How can I trust a God, for example, who sends poisonous snakes into the camp? Well, let's just think about that for a second. What does a snake represent if you're an Israelite in the wilderness? What does a snake represent? Well, if you know your Bible story, a snake represents God's rescue mission. Remember when this whole thing began? God shows up. It's a burning bush. How improbable is that? Moses is hearing a voice. God's speaking to him from a burning bush. And Moses is going, I'm not sure if I really trust you on this one. And God says, what's in your hand? And remember what's in his hand? It's a staff. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, a rod. It's, it's a symbol of leadership that a shepherd uses with sheep. So God says, throw it down, and it turns into a snake. You can trust me. The snake is a reminder of people who have lost any confidence in God in the wilderness, in the midst of it. And, and there's nothing God can do for these people the moment they no longer trust him. He's trying to get them through the wilderness, trying to get them out of slavery. And the moment they no longer trust him, it's game over. And God says, look, I, I need to do something dramatic now because I need to reclaim your confidence in me, your trust in my word. So here come the snakes. You remember what they mean. And it's kind of like a reprise of the Exodus itself. Because remember, God had thrown down, uh, um, uh, Moses had thrown down the serpent, the magicians of Egypt had tried to imitate this thing. And then the plague, and they say they don't trust. And then the plagues come, plague after plague. And it's the natural disasters, the locusts, and it's the, the frogs. And here comes, again, like the snakes. Like, if you want to live in Egypt and be like the Egyptians, then here, don't forget what I did to the Egyptians. This is, going to, this is not going to go well for you. And Jesus saying to Nicodemus, this is not a parlor game. Life and death is at stake right here. You have to decide, do you trust me? And this is a reminder to them that not only do they have to trust God, but they can trust God because he's the great rescuer. He's redeeming them. As ugly as it sometimes looks, he's bringing life into their lives. I just wonder how often does God's rescue mission in my life look like a threat from my perspective? And I say, God, I think you got this one wrong. I start complaining against God. Do you trust me, George? And then I get this letter from from a man named Red Sun-91. Okay, I get this letter, and, and he's asking me, do you trust me? Because I, I, I'll really do this, is what he's saying. And my first reaction is, yeah, well, do I trust me, actually? Does he have any real dirt on me? How clean have I been living my life? Do I trust me? And like, my first thought, as I say, is I'm like going through everything I've ever done, all of my, quote, misadventures. Like, 
What, what might he be talking about? And as I say, it's not that I can't find anything. It's that I find way too much stuff. And I'm going, wow, what is it I've done that I wouldn't want my wife to know? What is it I've done that I wouldn't want you to know? What is it I've done that I could never tolerate my neighbors knowing, you know, the truth about me? And there's so much there. I, and I'm, it's not like one of those, like, you know, in a Presbyterian church, they have this prayer of confession, right? Kelsey led us through this beautiful prayer of confession. It gives us seven seconds, you know, to do it. And I'm like, this is going to take some time for me. Seven seconds is not going to be enough for me. I don't know about you beautiful Presbyterians, right? But I go through a lot. I got through a lot of history uh, identifying misadventures, things that I've done, things that I've left undone, thought, word, and deed. I, I got lots of stuff. There's lots of evidence uh, around my life. And he says he's got evidence. He says option one is to ignore this letter. Let me tell you what happened. If you choose this path, I'll take this evidence and send it to your wife. And as an insurance against you intercepting it before your wife gets it, I will also send copies to her friends, family, and your neighbors. Wow. Do I trust me? You know why this thing works? Actually, someone in the last service got this thing also. And a man. It was a man. Uh, you know why it works? Because everybody has a secret. Everybody has a secret. It's not just me, and it's not just you. It's all of us. We've all got a past. We've all got dirt on our uniform. We are all uh, people with misadventures uh, in our lives, and we can't afford to be exposed to others. And that's why this thing's work, because you send enough people, people are going to send $8,500 to Red Sun 91. Because here he comes with a remarkable promise, it seems to me. He's saying, George... For the princely sum of $8,500 Bitcoin, and there's a helpful instruction sheet on how to tr transact with Bitcoin <laughs> attached to the letter, I will cover up all of your misadventures and nobody needs to know. And you know what I'm thinking? Wow, that's way too little. You are not asking nearly enough. If you, if you claim to cover up all my misadventures, come on. 8500 is like nothing. I'll pay that at the drop of a hat. Come on, if you could really do that, I would pay anything you would charge. I would pay anything. I would take out a loan and I'd work for the rest of my life. I would slave if I had to slave to get there where I could stand before my wife, where I could stand before you, where I could stand before God and not be ashamed. I'd pay anything for that. And if there was still debt left over, I'd give it to my heirs as a gift. Uh, <laughs> right? And Jesus comes along and he says to you and he says to me, don't you pay it. Don't you pay it. Why? Is it because Jesus is unaware of the human condition, that we all have a secret? Is it just, Jesus is, just, is kind of confused about the brokenness of human nature? Is it that Jesus doesn't know my misadventures? He's unaware of my secret? No. Why, Jesus? And he says, because I've already paid it. I've already paid it for you. I have paid the ransom. Do you trust me? This is the question that Jesus asked. The Scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. Jesus himself says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many, Mark 10.45. Paul says he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us, Colossians 2.14. It's gone. That record, that long, sorry list, it's gone. It's been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you trust Jesus, then there is no evidence against you in the eyes of God. It's interesting to me that 
Both the things that get lifted up in these two stories are the problem. In the wilderness, it's the serpent that's the problem. So they put a bronze serpent on a pole. In Nicodemus's day, the problem is human nature. We're reminded that what the snake really points to is our disobedience to God. Remember in the garden, the serpent had raised this question against Eve. You know, do you think you really trust God? Do you think he's withholding something? That's the way we, human nature, we don't trust God. And because of that sin and death and the whole devastating story of human history and at the center of history, here God breaks in and says, I'm going to put the problem, human nature, my own son, the son of God, in a human nature on the cross and lift it up. He'll pay the ransom that you can't afford, and I don't want to even ask you to pay. Trust him. I have given you the greatest gift for your deepest need, my only son. This is the gospel. This is good news. And the question is today, how do you and I want to respond to this gift? I'm begging you to trust Jesus for your whole life, for all of your misadventures. That's the offer. That's the invitation. And I know it's a strange, strange promise Jesus makes for a problem sometimes we don't even want to admit exists, but nothing could be more important. We have to make a decision. Red Sun 91 is right about this. He demands a decision. There's really no middle ground between option one and option two, trust and distrust. We're always living in one or the other. The end of his, the last word he says to me in his letter is, the clock is ticking, George. <laughs> well, that's scary. And it is, and it is ticking, not because he's written me this letter, but because of the circumstances of my life. It's, this, this is real. And so Jesus is rather insistent. He says, come to me and come to me now and put your trust in me. And you say maybe, well, what's the evidence? Red Sun 91 has some evidence. What's your evidence, Jesus, for this? And there really is evidence. I mean, Nicodemus comes because he says no one can do the things you've done unless God is with him. So there are signs in the Gospel of John. And also he gets the evidence of this prediction. Jesus says, look, Remember that snake lifted up in the wilderness? I'm going to be lifted up in the same way. So he's living between these two stories. And when Jesus is crucified, he's going to go, wow, this is what Jesus predicted. So that's a little bit of evidence for Nicodemus. He's going to have the evidence of the resurrection. We just celebrated Easter. The tomb is empty, and it was empty in Nicodemus's day. And he knows that people don't rise from the dead unless something dramatic is happening. But I think what really, really impacts Nicodemus is watching Jesus die on the cross. It's love. Nicodemus will show up at the end of the Gospel of John. Just there's a little hint. He asks for the body. It seems like the death of Jesus really turns things for Nicodemus. And he buries, he, he helps bury uh, Jesus. And I'd like to suggest to you that trust doesn't really come from evidence. And that's good because sometimes there's more evidence against the claim of Jesus than there is for the claim of Jesus. Trust really doesn't come from evidence. It comes from love. We trust people who love us. If you trust your parents, it's because you perceive love for them. If you trust your spouse, it's because they've got a track record of love with you. And God's saying, you can trust me because I love you. And if you want to know how, you look at the cross and you see what I've given for you, for you. God so loved the world. God so loved you. I go, wow, if that's true, God chose me over the life of his son? I can't afford not to trust him. 
Because I don't know anybody who loves me that way. I don't love me that way. I can't afford not to trust someone who loves me in this way. And so we look to the cross. Look and live is what they said in the wilderness. Look and live. When I look at Jesus, what do I see? I see somebody with credibility. By the way, it's interesting to me, this whole Me Too thing. I've been thinking about this a lot. It seems to me that the Me Too movement has shown us in the 21st century another way of getting at truth beyond evidence. Right, because you women are coming forward and telling your stories to us, and there's oftentimes not a lot of evidence. And normally we go, well, we want to have an investigation, we want to have a hearing, we want to have a trial, we want to, like, look at it and make a decision in this way. We're scientists, you know, if we can take it into the laboratory, we can figure out what truth is. But actually, you can't do that in these situations. Me Too is reminding us it's another way of knowing the truth, and it's not based on evidence, it's based on relationship. It's based on, it's, it's based on knowing the person. And, and you women are coming forward, we're like, we can't actually prove what happened there, but you know what, we decided to believe you even before the investigation, because we know you. And so we trust you. And so if you want to trust God, you're going to get to know God. It's about the relationship. You look to the cross and you go, wow, think about what God has done in Jesus Christ, the way he came with a humble birth. Think about the teachings of Jesus to turn the other cheek, to love your enemy, to care for the poor. Think about the consistency between his life and his teaching. No one's ever, no one's ever lived like Jesus. Most of all, think about his death on the cross with you in mind paying your ransom and mine. i, I got to say, I don't understand that. This is the strangest promise. God didn't have to do it. Could have done it any other way or not at all. And yet, this is what he is. This is the beauty of the, the drama, the life that we're living in. God loves you so much, he gave his only son for you. And I, I can't explain that or understand that, but i got to tell you what, it makes me want to trust that. It's so beautiful. It's compelling. It wins my confidence. And I trust as you look at it, look at him, he will win your confidence as well. Place your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. If perhaps you've never made this decision before, perhaps today would be the day you consider yourself a Christian. Christian's not, a, Christian's not somebody who cleans up their life and finally gets obedient, makes it all work. That's not a Christian. A Christian is somebody who sees all the chaos and knows they can't make it work themselves. And so they look to Jesus and live and let him pay the ransom for their sin. You could make that decision today. And for all of us, we're in some kind of a wilderness trying to decide if we're going forward or backward. We're completely disoriented. We don't like the, the food. There's nothing to drink. And we're saying, God, can I really trust you in this situation? He's going, look to the cross and live. If you can trust me there, you can trust me here right now. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Trust me and follow me. So let me close by telling you what really what happened with this letter. Uh, I was a little bit scared when I read it, read it at first, honestly. But I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? There's nothing I have done for which Jesus Christ hasn't forgiven me. And someday I will stand before God and it won't be the evidence of my life that matters. It will be the evidence of Jesus' life that matters because I trust in him. And so I took this thing and I just threw it back into the pile of all the stuff that I was recycling. By the way, all the mail I get today, it's just junk mail. I never get anything that matters. It's junk mail and blackmail. So I threw it down into the pile. <laughs> and then I thought, wait a minute, this is too good. And I pulled it back out and I put it in Anne's pile. <laughs> I did, I did. 
I kid you not. I slipped it right in the middle. She gets, she's way behind her in her mail. It's like right in the middle of the pile. It was days later, I was in the kitchen just sort of tinkering around, and I heard in the next room this burst of laughter. It was, and she was at the dining room table. She was laughing. This was the funniest thing. Aunt thought this was funny. She thought it was very funny. Why? You know why? Because she knows me. Because we have a relationship. Because she knows I love her. And because of that, she trusts me. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God. <laughs> what joy. What beauty. What love. We, we can't even get our heads around this. We, we live with a sense of loneliness and boredom and fear. And here you are disrupting all of that with this beautiful story. Say, trust me. Oh, we want to trust you today. We want to come to faith today. And we want to live with that faith. And so we pray. We say, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.